MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warm friendly hello. Welcome to Lumpy Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Beers, and now part of the Beeson family of podcasts, We've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by our good friend, Sean Paul. He does great work over at the Field of 68 and on Westwire. We're going to be chatting with him about some of the surprises and disappointments of the early season. Got to be highlighting how, well, awful Florida State and Louisville are and the fact that they're actually going to be playing later on this week. So that is going to be an unenviable game. And we do have one the unenviable game for Monday. I'm going to be hitting in bank shots and we're also going to get his thoughts, Sean's thoughts on some of the games that we're going to be getting on Monday as well. And then in the final segment, like I said, picks an analysis on every single game as we do it. So those bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we did have a great day of college basketball on Sunday. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The day started in London, England with the Maris and Maine game. We'll get to the bigger game in a second with Maris clawing out a 62-61 win. This was actually a very entertaining game in which Maine was up by six points in the final three minutes after Maris had controlled much of it. And then uh, Maine toilet pulled from there. This was a line of Maris laying a point and a half. So if you took one and a half with Maine, you were still good. I know that many of you guys took the money line, so that was a little bit of sadness. But for Maris, they go just 6 of 21 from three-point range with 15 turnovers. But they overcome that because they did a solid job giving themselves eight offensive rebound opportunities. Maine was able to give themselves 11, but Maine... 3 of 16 from 3-point range. You can tell that the setting and the environment itself had a big effect on this game. Kellen Tynes for Maine was able to give the team 12 points and 11 rebounds for a Maine team that honestly has been relatively solid thus far. And you saw in the other game, Kentucky 
Get it done against Michigan, 73-69. to If you, like me, had the under, that got there because of two missed free throws late by Kentucky. Went 10 of 20 at the line. You're wondering why they didn't cover. That is why Oscar Shibai, he was tremendous. 13 points, 14 rebounds. He won 3 of 4 from the free throw line, so other guys did not step up. And Hunter Dickinson, he took 22 shots on 23 points, but he also gave the team 9 rebounds, 3 blocks. He was solid. As Michigan, they only turned the ball over 7 times in this game. Problem was... Oscar Shibway was just so dominant down low, so even though they won the turnover battle 14-7, was a little bit of tough sledding in for Kentucky. They went 9-15 of 15 from three-point range with Austin Reeves and Kaysan Wallace combining to go 7-8 of eight from three-point range. The difference in that one, Cincinnati just completely took it to a Bryant team that was down quite a few guys. They were down to pretty much seven rotational players until they brought in Walkie McWalk-On at the end of the game, 97-71, the final as the big guy in this one for Bryant was Charles Pride. He was able to give the team 23 points, but having so many guys out, that was tough. And Cincinnati, they do go 10 of 28 from three-point range. Bryant, despite all those guys being out, they still tried to play their up-tempo style as Danielle Skellings was averaging about four points and three rebounds per game prior to this one. Came in off the bench for 14 points, 13 rebounds. Victor Lakeen down low, 16 points, 13 rebounds as Bryant just got bludgeoned on the glass. Losing that battle 56-41. to You did have Miami just completely dismount all over Louisville. My DK Nation pick of Miami. It gets the job done very easily. 80-53. to It was a free space on the board to be able to get me right on those DK Nation picks. As LL is 1 of 10 from the floor. Louisville 19 turnovers. Miami did have 16 of their own. But Miami won the battle on the glass 39-34. to And... You had Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong combined for 24 points, 9 rebounds in this one. No Chad Omier was able to do a solid job down low as well. Miami really didn't even need to play the starters for much of the second half. That was a very easy winner. This was an easy winner for Niagara. All over Canisius, 90-60. to The final, they go 8-16 of from three-point range. 21 big points in this one out of Walter Clayton Jr. And for Canisius... They had 20 turnovers in this game, which pr- proved to be very costly. That's typically not how you're going to be able to win a lot of games, especially when Iona only has 11 of their own. So despite the fact that Canisius got 20 offensive rebounds, turned out to not help them out very much. At the Nutter Center, Youngstown State goes in and gets a W. 88-77, to a win over Wright State. For Wright State, you did have a pair of guys be able to come out for a very big performance as A.J. Braun and Brandon Noel. They were able to combine for 39 points, 16 rebounds. But for the Penguins, Dwayne Quill with a 43 spot. 16 of 19 from the floor and 6 of 6 from 3. Youngstown Seiko's 20 out of 22 at the charity stripe as well. So, even though Adrian Nelson, a little bit of a rough go, but with 5 points and 7 rebounds, they were able to very much overcome that as he was just a man possessed in this one. And he did have in this game for Wright State as well. Trey Kelvin, after coming off the bench, he had just 7 points, 5 assists. So, a little bit of a pedestrian game for him. Murray State in overtime. They got it done against Valparaiso, 77-70. So, if you had Valparaiso getting the points, that was a little bit of a rough one as for Murray State, they go 7 of 17 from three-point range. And Rob Perry was a man that got done 30 points on 10 of 17 shooting. And, I mean, this kid has come up from D2 and has looked very good. Jamari Smith, he goes 7 of 11 from the floor as well. And for Valparaiso, he got 31 points, 8 rebounds out of Ben Cricky, But 
You really didn't get much out of anyone else off the bench. You did have 10 rebounds out of Jerome Palm, but not necessarily much of a score. And for Valparaiso, 4 of 18 three-point shooting. That turned out to be costly. Merrimack just continues to sink. They've got Jordan Minor back at full, but it's making a minor impact as Vermont wins 66-43. to And for Vermont, they go 12 of 26 from three-point range with Finn Sullivan going for 17 points, six boards, 4 of 11 from three-point range. Robin Duncan, the good old 0 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists line for Vermont as well. And for Merrimack, 4 of 22 from three-point range. They won the turnover battle 12 to 10, but a very bad showing there. Central Florida escapes with their lives. 80 to 77, they take down a very good Samford team that you do want to be taking note of. For Sam Amford, you had four different starters score at least 11 points in this game. And the big key for Samford is that they won their turnover battle by a count of 14 to 10. But where Central Florida was able to win this game is that they had their star freshman and Taylor Hendricks go out for 21 points, four boards, and went four of five from three point range. Without him, rest of the team, they went 5 of 20 from three-point range. So that was a big, giant bailout for Central Florida. Radford has been looking relatively solid this season. They take down George Washington by kind of 86 to 76 for George Washington. They were just completely lapped in this game, despite the fact that James Bishop was able to deliver for the team 26 points. He went 8 of 18 from the floor, and for Radford, just a very balanced effort in general. A team in which the hole is greater than some of its parts. They shoot 55% from the floor, 6 of 16 from three-point range. They're a team that's starting to grow on me. UAB has had a lot of wins, but no coverage this season, and this was another one of them. 76-68, the final against South Alabama, so they went out right, but they don't cover as Greg Parham. 30 points for South Alabama, and yeah, Kevin Samuel only be able to chip in their four points, but 14 rebounds as well. For UAB, just the Jelly Walker show once again taking over 30 points, double-double of K.J. Buffin as well. But for South Alabama, they lose the rebound battle 44-33. They made up for it, though, by being able to do a solid job with Parham being able to make some outside shots. They went as a collective 8-22 of 22 to be able to hold in that one. Florida, they take down Stetson by a count of 89-51. to 51. A Stetson team that is playing at one of the slower temples in all of college basketball. But Florida has been able to cover a lot of these Bigger spread numbers. They go 11 of 22 from three-point range. Nobody scored more than 14 points in this game as Will Richard off the bench did that, but a very balanced effort in general against a Setson team that had already knocked off a Florida team in Florida State. So that was incredible for them. And with North Carolina, it has been incredible as way that they have lost four games already this season. 80 to 72. Virginia Tech gets it done. North Carolina won the biggest Buster Roonies of the early college basketball season. And I believe that the only game that they have covered to this point was that game against James Madison a little bit earlier in the season as North Carolina, 3 of 17 from three-point range. They should be a little bit better with their three-point shooting at some point as R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, they combined for 36 points. Pete Nance gave the team a double-double as Armando Bakeout did not play in this game. So do take note of that. But Justin Mutz, 27 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. Mr. Versatile for Virginia Tech as Vatek. They went 7 of 19 from 3-point range. Tennessee just completely pummel Alcorn State. 94 to 40, the final on this one for Alcorn State. 1 of 16 from 3-point range. And this is not a terrible Alcorn State team either. Alcorn State, 
They already have a win to their credit over Stone Cold Steve F. Austin on the road, and they also took down Wichita State on the road as well. But for Tennessee, they just did a great job with their defensive execution. Alcorn State, 22 turnovers, the 13 made buckets. And for Tennessee, every one of their starters reached double figures in this one. Florida Gulf Coast, a win and cover against Florida National, 74-65. Got a little bit airy late as Florida Gulf Coast was very much in control of this game. As a matter of fact, they were up 16 with 3.20 to go, but they were able to get there for you with Purdue. It all depended upon your closing number as they were at some point 18 points in which they were laying. They closed in a lot of places right around 20, 89 to 70. They take down Minnesota. Zach Eady, giant of the earth. Very good performance once again. About 31 points and 22 rebounds. Yeah, he had 22 rebounds. Minnesota had 21 rebounds as a team. He out-rebounded Minnesota all by themselves. I remember Oscar Sheebway did this last season against Western Kentucky. I can't remember the last time I've ever seen something like this in a game involving two power conference teams. Yeah, Jameson Battle chip in there, 21 points for Minnesota. Was able, at the very least, hold within arm's reach throughout much of this one. So you have a little bit of credit where credit is due, but... I mean, a tremendous performance there. Oregon was able to go on the road. They were able to get a cover against UCLA, 65-56 to the finals. Oregon actually led at the half. Things fell apart for them late due to 15 turnovers, and UCLA only at 9, and UCLA also controlled the glass, 36-25. to And a big reason why is that every UCLA starter had at least four rebounds in this affair as well. Jalen Clark has been able to do a nice job filling it up. He had 14 points, so that has been big for UCLA, and it's just been a case in which Will Richardson has happened himself this season. 13 points, 5 turnovers, 1 of 3, 3-point three shooting. If Oregon's going to be able to reach their true potential, they're going to need him to play a little bit better. We're going to talk about this team a little bit later on with our good friend Sean Paul, but Northwestern State, the Demons, they get it done against Southern Miss, 84-82. Southern Miss was a slight favorite in this game, and they entered undefeated. Northwestern State is now 7-2, by the way. As Demarcus Sharp, he was sharp. Took 25 shots, but he hit 12 of them, 32 points. You're able to get 10 rebounds down low out of Jalen Hampton. This Northwestern State team has really been able to provide you with a whole lot of value. They've already got a road win against Stephen F. Austin as a 20-point underdog against TCU. They got the job done outright, and I believe that Northwestern State has covered every one of their games, perhaps aside from that game against Texas Tech, but even that game against Texas Tech, I think they were catching 28, so Northwestern State off to a really good start, and for Felipe Haas, he was out there for a Southern Miss, giving the team 23 points. He did have 19 points, 12 rebounds out of DeAndre Pinkney for a Southern Miss team that they've been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball as well. Utah in overtime, they got it done against Washington State, 67-65 to the final as Utah goes 7-14 from three-point range, Washington State 4 of 30 from three-point range. That is one where you figured that there was going to be a little bit of three-point shooting regression with this Washington State team. TJ Bamba was shooting over 50% from three-point range, but boy, did it hit at a really bad time as Washington State, they lost the rebound battle by one, but they won the turnover battle 19-12 to against Utah, but for Utah, you had the Carlson brothers really do a solid job. Brandon Carlson had six turnovers, but Ben Carlson, despite the fact they had zero points, he did a nice job hauling in their 10 rebounds, 
That turned out to be the difference to be able to get the ball to some of these scores, and they were able to put the biscuit in the basket. Washington, they were able to put the biscuit in the basket too. They take down Colorado by kind of 73 to 63 as for Washington. 7 of 19 from three-part range, 16 points apiece out of Cole Bajaba and Braxton Mia, a couple of afterthought guys that have entered the program in recent years via the transfer portal. And for Colorado, the incredible inconsistency of this team continues at the very least. Unlike their last game, they were down big and they just could not claw their way back. They actually made this thing, I believe, a two-point game with about four minutes ago. And then Washington, they were able to restore order as they did have Giovanni Holiday be able to give the team 15 points, but lots of battle down low. That allowed for the win for Washington. Rice with a little bit of a center. They close as about a five-point underdog against Texas State and Texas State. Well, they lose by kind of 83-71 to 71 against a Rice team that went 12 of 21 from three-point range. Total sizzler there. Rice loses the rebound battle by kind of 32 to 29. But for Texas State, just 4 of 14 from three-point range. Mason Arrow, 23 points. And I've been liking this Texas State team, but very silently, Rice is now 6-2. Granted, against lesser competition, but Quincy Alvary giving the team 30 points. Very good sign there. Very good sign for Florida Atlantic. Even without Elijah Martin, they get it done against Eastern Michigan. 101-73 as they go 12-24 from three-point range. Florida Atlantic does. Brian Greenlee, 10-11 of 11 from the field for 23 points. And for Eastern Michigan, Amani Bates, 29 points, 6 boards. He did go 0-7 from 3, but he was able to do his part. And nobody around him helped out as Eastern Michigan lost the rebound battle 44-27. Looks like it's going to be a long year in the Ypsilanti, but going to be a good year for Florida Atlantic. And then you had Iowa State. They were able to take down St. John's by a count of 70-60 to 60 for the Johnnies. They had 20 turnovers in this game and 19 made field goals. Not a recipe for success. And then Caleb Grill, he was just grilling this St. John's team. 7 points, 7 boards, pair of assists. Iowa State, they are now 7-1 to begin the season, but they've been another one of your really good cover teams as well as I believe that they have now covered six out of their first eight games. Meanwhile, for St. John's, they've been incredibly inconsistent, and that inconsistency, it does linger Hartford. They're right now looking like a fade. They lose their brown, and they are unable to cover 11 at home by a count of 65-51. to 51. Just a really sad state of affairs out there. And as for the late games, you saw some... Favorites in the Big Ten, not necessarily have a good time of it, actually. You had one underdog in the Big Ten have a very, very good time of it in Nebraska. One not so good in Michigan State. Let's get to Nebraska first, who they go on the road and they take down Creighton 63-53 to in what might be the most improved defense in all of college basketball. And how big is it that Derek Walker's back in the fold? 22 points and 8 rebounds in 23 minutes since he has been back. Nebraska has allowed 67 points or fewer in three out of the four games that he's been out there on the floor. Sam Greisel, 18 points, 7 assists, 12 rebounds. And Creighton, they went 10 of 40 from three-point range as Baylor Shireman and Ryan Kalkbrenner both had double-doubles. They combined for 20 points and 21 rebounds. But for Creighton, that's a loss to turnover battle, 16 to 13. Bad showing for Creighton, really, really good showing for Nebraska. Got to point out that Missouri had a tough time with Southeast Missouri State as well. This was a final that landed 96 to 89. So if you took the points with Southeast Missouri State, you were able to get there relatively easily as Phil Per Russell for Southeast Missouri State. He goes off for 26 points as 
Missouri allows Southeast Missouri State to go 13 of 26 from three-point range. And Missouri, they themselves, they shot 11 of 27 from three-point range. The Missouri offense looking very good. The three-point shooting defense continues to be a concern as Sean East, the second, came off the bench for Missouri. 21 points, six assists, four steals, and Kobe Brown have a 25-point and eight-rebound performance himself. So both goods and bads on that front. You did see... Northwestern go on the road. They took down Michigan State 70-63 to as Michigan State 8-22 from three-point range. But big thing for them is that they've lost the rebound battle by a count of 31-30. to They've lost the turnover battle 13-12. to And the best player on the floor on this day belonged to Northwestern. Boo Booey. 20 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. He did have 4 turnovers. And he did have a little bit of help with Chase Odige and Ty Berry. Combined to be able to... Combined to go for six made threes as they attempted a grand total of 14 in total. That was able to lift them in for Northwestern. Also won 21 of 24 at the free throw line. Easier said than done on the road. USC, they barely squeak one out against Oregon State. 63 to 62 the final. It looked like Oregon State might be able to win this game outright after they got up double figures in the first half. To the credit of USC, they were able to come back. But man, this was one where USC... Probably going to want to forget about it because they lost the rebound battle by kind of 34-23. to You could tell that they're missing Vincent Iwuchuku out there. And for Oregon State, they went 10-22 from three-point range. The star freshman in Jordan Pope, he goes 3-7 of seven from three, 11 points. And then Dexter Akano, 17 points, 6 assists. So he was solid in for USC. They did turn the ball over just six times. That pretty much bailed them out in this one. I'm doing this as San Francisco is currently getting drilled by 20 points against Utah State. I have to do this before the Greg Peterson experience. And if you like me at Arizona State, this one was a relatively tough one. As Arizona State, they get it done, but they covered much of this game and they only win by a count of 68 to 64. Arizona State was up seven with about a buck 35 remaining and. Could not hang on for the cover as Stanford. They go to 6 of 27 from three-point range, but for Arizona State, 17 turnovers. They proved to be costly as Frankie Collins. He was able to be back in the fold in this one. I know that there were some injury concerns there, but he was able to give the team 11 points, 5 assists, for Washington, 10 rebounds down low, but for Arizona State, they themselves go 4 of 23 from three-point range, so not so savory on that front, and what has been savory in terms of betting on college basketball has been unders this year, although we've been seeing a little bit of an over-binge here in the last seven days. 157 overs, 143 unders in the last seven days, so 52.3% of games going over the total, and we have seen in this time span a relatively 50-50 split between home teams and road teams. Home teams covering 51% of the time, underdogs and favorites, You've had underdogs go 149, 147, and 4 against the spread. So it's relatively even Stevens. But what has really been hitting this season has been those home underdogs against the spread. As home underdogs against the spread, 188, 149, and 6 against the spread. That is 55.8%. And overall for the season, home teams covering about 51.6% of games. And unders, 691 of them to 662 overs. You've got a few pushes thrown in there as well, I believe. 
something like 25 in total. So about 51% of games thus far this season have went under. So that's what we're getting right now in college basketball. And that's what we're seeing in general. Coming up next, we are going to be having my good friend Sean Paul of the field of 68. Sean does a great job taking a look at college basketball. We are going to be diving in on Monday's games along with some of the disappointments and surprises that we've seen thus far this college basketball season. On the flip side, right here on Coast to Coast with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of Mason Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Las Vegas for Gus Gessitz with myself, Greg Ibs Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guest. As we've got Sean Paul aboard. He does a great job over at the Field of 68, taking a look at the great game of college basketball. On top of that, he does amazing work just as one of the better minds that you're going to find in all of college basketball. does a great job with his mid-major poll, which I am actually one of the voters on, which and so it's a whole lot of fun taking a look at some of the smaller schools and some teams that you want to be taking a look at right now because they're going to be a force in March. And Sean also does great work over there at Mountain West Wire and you're able to follow him on Twitter at Sean Paul CBB. That is S E A N on Sean. And always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to join you again, Greg. You know, it's been an interesting start to the college basketball season. So we'll definitely have some topics to talk about here. It certainly is. And, in terms of what we've all seen this season, what have been some of the bigger surprise teams? Like with Nebraska going on the road against Creighton and doing what they did on Sunday, they, to me, are a surprise team because expectations for Nebraska certainly were not high. Being able to get a performance like that, that is very solid. I know that you were tweeting about Northwestern State. They say mm-hmm. that to me, but just overall across the board, where are some of the teams that have been impressing you, whether it be to the positive or the negative? I mean, we can start with the two teams you just named right there. Nebraska, they're really experienced. I mean, you look at Derek Walker. I'm pretty sure he's 25 years old. He's been in college for a really long time. You then have Sam Griesel, who's a really solid point guard. He's 6'7", but he can run the show. He's a great rebounder. He's not a great shooter, but he can fill up the stat sheet. He can defend. He does everything well. And then you have guys like Casey Tominaga. You have CJ Wiltshire. You have not very much depth, but your experience. And in a game like this where Creighton was clearly the more experienced team, it kind of showed. They have that veteran presence. They don't fold under pressure. Well, Creighton looked like the more inexperienced team, which they are. I mean, last year they had a ton of freshmen in there. Now a lot of those guys are sophomores like Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander and Arthur Kaluma. But Kaluma is really bad in this game. He only had two points. He didn't make a single shot from the field. And the depth for Creighton is also a little bit concerning for me because you have Francisco Farabello. He had 16 in this one. That was his best game with the Blue Jays. But besides that, they didn't have a single bench point. They need more out of Mason Miller. They need more out of Sharif Mitchell. Because at some point, it's going to be like the St. Bonaventure factor from last year. Eventually, these starters are going to tire out. And Creighton needs to figure out the depth. They need to figure out what they're going to do on nights they're not shooting great. Uh, It was just an off night for them. But Nebraska's been pretty impressive so far. I don't think they're a tournament team, but clearly they're a team that can play spoiler a little bit. In Northwestern State, one of the biggest things that is underestimated when a coach gets hired is the connections they have in recruiting. And that's exactly what happened with Corey Gibson. He comes over from Missouri State, and he brings over three Missouri State guys with him. Demarcus Sharp, who had 30 in the second straight game. Isaac Haney, who can really shoot it from outside. And Jamonta Black, who was huge in the win over TCU earlier in the year. He has done a great job getting those guys over, adding a few other transfers, adding Gage Prim's brother, former Missouri State star. He added his brother coming in, Dane Prim. I think Northwestern State is clearly the favorite in the Southland at this point. I think they're better in Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. They just have so much talent for a Southland team. I think it's going to be really hard to knock them off this season. Yep, I am right there with you on Northwestern State. The fact that they were able to have all those guys coming in together is something that I did like as joining me on the podcast. We do have Sean Paul and. Sean, when it comes to something like Northwestern State, because you just mentioned it, 
It's the Missouri State coaching staff that really took over. They brought in three guys from Missouri State. We're seeing it with Iowa State right now. They bring in multiple guys from St. Bonaventure. Heck, I take a look at Southern Miss, a team that we were talking about on your show. They brought in two guys from Mercer, and Felipe Haas and Neftali Alvarez. I do think that that's a big way to be able to have some returning experience and, for lack of a better term, be able to have chemistry right away, bringing over multiple guys in the transfer portal that are from the same school. Perhaps you've got a coach that they're bringing in their own guys. We're seeing that with schools like Missouri, obviously LSU had to go that route as well with Matt McMahon. And I do think that it's something that is really working in this day and age of college basketball. It definitely is. I mean, Arizona State, they brought in some guys from Nevada. You just have a lot of teams. I think part of it is like the friendship that some of these guys build. They want to be with their guys. And some of them that decide to enter the transfer portal, maybe is a bit of a package deal. Like with Jaron Holmes and Osuna Shunahi, maybe they were a bit of a package deal, both ending up at Iowa State a team who pulled off a really impressive win over St. John's. But I I do think connections and having the camaraderie with some of your former teammates can really benefit teams who recruit like a package deal of guys. I think that's big in recruiting and big in the transfer portal. Yep, I am totally in agreement with you there. And like you mentioned, with Northwestern State, they are one of the beneficiaries. And we've been talking a lot about the good, Sean. Let's take a look at some of the bad. Let's look at Exhibit A out there in the ACC, a pair of teams that we saw over the weekend. Florida State, actually a good effort against Virginia. I'll give them credit. That is not a bad loss whatsoever. And honestly, if you lose a one-to-two possession game against Virginia on the road, you should be considering that a quite good effort. But now they're without Cameron Fletcher for the rest of the year. They were right without Bobby Miller. They were already without Jalen Ganey. Things just are going downhill for them. And this Louisville team, I thought that they were going to be bad. I thought that they were going to avoid the total seller in terms of the ACC, and I thought that, well, Oregon State was probably going to be worse in terms of a power conference perspective, but looks like I was wrong there. Just take me through these two teams because they're actually going to be hooking up, I believe, on Saturday, and that is going to be the toilet bowl of toilet bowl matchups. Yeah, that's one of those you're like, do I watch that just to see like how ugly it can really get? And honestly, I might watch it because – that game will be terrible. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That will not be an entertaining game to watch because both teams are awful, but they're awful for different reasons. Florida State's his big reason of it has been because of injuries. Now you're without Cameron Fletcher. You're already without Bob Miller, who's suspended, a really dumb suspension by the NCAA. But then you also have Jalen Ganey, who's supposed to be a really good front court player. He's done for the season. They're just so depleted in the front court. Naheem McLeod is six or seven four, but he's not that good of a player. And then you have a handful of other guys that aren't really front court players that are probably going to have to play up there. You're going to play Tom House maybe at the four, maybe even go like a super small ball five and play him at the five. Not a lot there for this Florida State team, and a lot. It's just because of injuries, but they should just air it out from outside with Caleb Mills and Darren Green and see what happens. But Louisville just lacks the talent. They just did not recruit the portal the way they should have. They didn't add any guard from the portal besides Hersey Miller who's walking onto the team. L. Ellis is the only guard that can score the basketball. It was just a team that was doomed from the start, and it's getting worse and worse. Like, the effort isn't there. They're getting blown out by, like, 20 every single game. And they're supposed to probably beat Florida A&M, a team they're favored by 16 against. I don't know how this team's favored by 16 against anybody. I mean, they could be playing a D2 team. I'm not sure they could be favored by 16. But they're projected to be 6-25, and 25 according to Ken Palm this year, even though they only have two wins slotted, so I'm not really sure how that works. But I can't see them winning a whole lot of games this year. They are the worst high-major team in college basketball. 
They are one of the worst offenses in all of college basketball. Just a rough team. Yeah, it's just so bad. I mean, I didn't think that things were going to be great for Louisville to start with, and that's what happens when your backcourt is L. Ellis, L. Ellis, and also L. Ellis. But yep. that said, oh boy, I mean, there's just no telling how bad it's going to be this season. So we shall see there. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Sean Paul. And Sean, it is not necessarily going to be the most rambunctious of slates on Monday, but that said, I mentioned it, you do the mid-major poll, and a team that has been creeping up more and more in that mid-major poll that we do, that is Kent State. They're going to be on the road. They're going to be facing off against Gonzaga, and Gonzaga, currently I'm finding them as a 15.5 point favorite, and I do feel like a lot of this is just the preseason expectations around Gonzaga, and I think that they need to figure things out at the point guard spot, and they're going up against a Kent State team that, forget about mid-major guards, this guy's one of the best at all of college basketball, period, and sincere carry. I think that this is a fascinating game. Would I be surprised if Kent State is able to pull it off? Absolutely, but I don't think I'm crazy in thinking that Kent State can cover this number and perhaps play Gonzaga to single digits. I could see it. I think Gonzaga probably wins by double digits, but I'm not sure if it's going to be 15, and that's because Kent State is a terrific defensive team. They held Houston to 49 points. Uh, they're 6-2 and two on the season. They held South Dakota State to 68 points the other day. They have a top 55 defense in college basketball. They force a ton, a ton of turnovers. They're a really bad rebounding team, though, which isn't an area that Gonzaga is going to really succeed in. But for Gonzaga, if you look at it from their standpoint, they need a get-right game really bad. I know they're 5-3. and three. The losses aren't bad. They don't really have they don't have a bad loss. All the top ten caliber teams. But at some point you have three losses and we're not even a month into the season. So you have to start string together wins and you have to figure out if Julian Strother can actually be a number two option for a national title winning team because so far it's been a really hit or miss. That's what he's been throughout his career. He's certainly talented. He's the most talented player on this roster from an NBA standpoint, but he was just so so inconsistent against Baylor. He was great against Kentucky, but he's had so many up and down games. Gonzaga needs him to be that consistent guy that can go hit three or four threes in a game and not go three for 14 from the field. They need him to average 15 plus a game, but do it consistently, not have a game where he's getting 25 and a game where he's getting five. He needs to be that consistent score next to Drew Timmy. Nolan Hickman catches a lot of flack, and I, I was part of that on Twitter recently. He made a few bad decisions down the stretch, and I think that really overshines, I guess, what he did, the good in the game against Baylor the other day. He had eight assists. He had some really good moments. But at the end of the game, he made a few really bad decisions, like driving to the basket, shooting it with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. That really lost them the game, in my opinion. That's something Andrew Nemhard would never do. But Nolan Hickman has to limit some of those mistakes, and he and Strother really have to step up if Gonzaga is going to turn this around. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I do think that the biggest issue for Gonzaga right now is just sloppy play in the backcourt. You mentioned the bad decision-making at the end of that Baylor game. That certainly did cost them. And something else I think is of fascination is, I know that I mentioned it a little bit earlier, you do some writing over there at Mountain West Wire, and the Mountain West in general has been very intriguing. You saw New Mexico get a really good win a few days ago against St. Mary's. I like the way that they're forming. San Diego State, as we know, has always been a defense-oriented team, but they seem to be a little bit different this year. Boise State, they got a nice win over the weekend against Texas A&M. What do you make out of the conference as a whole? Because I still think that San Diego State is a team to beat, but with San Diego State, they just don't seem to be the same team that they've been in seasons past, and I don't know if it's necessarily for the better. 
the conference is definitely better than I thought it would be. I didn't think I thought San Diego State would just run away with it, and I still think they largely will. I mean, they're twenty third in Ken Palm. They're still really good defensively. They're so much better offensively. They just haven't shot the ball well this season. They're shooting thirty one percent from deep. Matt Bradley hasn't been consistent like he was last year. Darion Tremel though has been great. Like in late game situations, he's really been the guy instead of Matt Bradley, which I think benefits the Aztecs long term. Nathan Menza's been great. Micah Parrish has hit some big shots like he did against Irvine the other day. But the other pieces in the conference, like New Mexico, they just completely outspeeded, outathleticismed St. Mary's, which happens because St. Mary's isn't the most athletic team in the world, but they're usually able to make that a non-issue. But Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr. were getting into the lane whenever they wanted, and St. Mary's had no answers. They were setting up uh, Morris Udeze for dunks inside. They were dropping it off to him. They were creating shots. They're getting to the foul line. That's such a dynamic guard duo. And Jalen House is one of the more underrated guards in the country because he defends. He can shoot. He's a great facilitator. He's a really good player over there from New Mexico. And I think they're a legitimate tournament caliber team, but they don't necessarily have the opportunities in the non-conference to create a great resume besides the St. Mary's game. So they're going to have to beat San Diego State probably. They're going to have to beat Utah State, maybe UNLV. I think we'll see at some point. I think a couple of these teams, I don't think Wyoming's a tournament team. Graham EK being out is a problem for them. And obviously they've lost some games that are going to hurt their tournament potential. And Colorado State losing to Northern Colorado definitely hampers their chances of making the tournament. But I think we'll see one or two of UNLV, uh, Utah State, and New Mexico make the tournament. I'm not sure which ones I think will do it. I would probably lean Utah State and UNLV because those two just completely have dominated opponents so far this year. But Utah State's defense concerns me, but Stephen Ashworth and Taylor Funk is a great duo. And UNLV is just elite defensively. They're one of the best defensive teams in the college basketball and they're scoring the ball a little better than I expected. They smothered San Diego, a really solid Toreros team. So I think UNLV is a team to keep an eye on, too. Oh, you mentioned it with UNLV. This team just gets into you defensively. They've got so many Swiss Army knife guys that are able to stuff the sad sheet. So I am in a complete agreement there. And, Sean, we do have one of those teams that's going to be in action on Monday. That would be San Diego State. They're going to be taking on a team that has been sort of growing on me a little bit. I hadn't put them in the past. In my mid-major top 25, but they're approaching that. And that'd be the Troy Trojans. They fell apart a little bit in their game against Arkansas. And a loss against Edwardsville, not necessarily the world's greatest. But with that said, this is a Troy team that they do a good job of really being able to guard. And San Diego State, once again, another one of these 15.5-point favorites, in which does San Diego State get the job done? And do they get it done by double figures? Probably. I think that this might be a little bit too much disrespect for a Troy team that are they going to be able to win the Sun Belt with all that they've got against them? Probably not, but I think that they could be a pesky team out there. Yeah, I mean, Troy won 20 games last year, but lost two big pieces, FAODG and Duke Dean, who both transferred. But they've been pretty competitive so far this season. They're 6-3. and three. They obviously lost to SIUE, but they competed. That 13-point that game against Arkansas, not indicative of how close that game was. That game was really tight the entire contest. Yeah, Troy fell apart the final five yeah. minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was close. But obviously a loss to St. Thomas isn't great either. But potentially being like 15 to 17 point underdogs, I think Troy can cover that. I'm just not sure if San Diego State can completely outscore a solid defensive team like Troy in that one. But you have guys like Nelson Phillips and Christian Eugene who are both very solid players over there. And then you have uh, Amar Muhammad and Kiefer Punter, who have both been pretty solid so far this season. I think Troy has enough to stay relatively competitive in that game. 
I think San Diego State probably takes it by by like 11 to 14 points. It won't be super close throughout the game, but I think Troy can stay within 15 to 17 range. I do think so as well. And fortunately, I will not ask you about IUPUI versus UW Green Bay because I'll be doing a breakdown in the next segment. And that's more lip service than that game deserves. So we're already serving that on this podcast and you always serve us well. When you join this podcast, Sean, you do absolutely amazing work over there at the Field of 68. Taking a look at all things college basketball, whether it be the smallest of the small teams or the biggest of the big. Love the good people at home. Know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at SeanPaulCBB and you'll see pretty much everything I do. You'll see it over there. Sean does absolutely terrific work following this great game that we all know and love. And every time he joins this podcast, delivers great insights. A big thanks to him for joining me on Coast Coast Heaps, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday. I see you some big If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, 
true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get our good friend Sean Paul aboard. He does amazing work over at the Field of 68, taking a look at this great game of basketball that we all know and love. Does a great job over at Mountain West Wire. Also is doing an amazing job with his major poll, which I vote on every single week as well. So it is always a pleasure to be able to have him on talk some college basketball. A little bit of a smaller slate today, but with that said, we do have some great games on tap for you guys. So time to give you guys picks and analysis on all seven games on the college basketball board for this Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore D1. We're going to be going with the games at the top of the board first, and then the games involving teams from smaller conferences, which is the America East and also the Big South. Those are going to be at the bottom. So we start with... Well, the grotiest game on the board, 851-852. If you watch this game, I certainly do not envy you as it's IUPUI, aka EUEPUE, and they're on the road facing off against UW Green Bay. 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time tip, by the way, as it is UW Green Bay, a six-point favorite, and your total on this game is between 125 and 126, and I recognize that it's early tip time. I recognize how bad IUPUI is on offense, but you also have to recognize how terrible IUPUI is on defense. They're a bottom 15 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, so boy oh boy, you got two teams that 
They really stink on offense. Both teams are averaging 58.3 points per game. Both teams allowing over 75 points per game. And for UW-Green Bay, they've given up at least 78 in each other last four games. A good old situation of something's got to give. And for IUPUI, honestly, their offense has looked a little bit better ever since Bryce Monroe got into the fold. Bryce Monroe was at Sam Houston State a few seasons ago in his four games since returning to the fold. 12 points, 3.8 assists, and two and a half turnovers per game. So you've actually seen a little bit of improvement. Both of these teams stink from three-point range. IUPUI shooting about 25.8% from three. UW-Green Bay about 24.8% from distance. But I do think for, for UW-Green Bay, Zay Blake is going to be the best scorer out there on the floor. Eight-plus points in four of the team's last five games. Has shot over 50% from three-point range. I don't think that that's going to be lasting. And really, neither of these teams has much rebounding. UW-Green Bay doesn't have a single guy that gives you at least four rebounds per game. Chris Olsen is able to give you about seven rebounds per game. For IEPY, he's the only guy that's really been able to give you more than four per contest. And the other guy that's given you four, that'd be a man in DJ Jackson who has played two games and has not been in the fold for quite a while. It's an IEPY team that, frankly, I can't trust them because they turn the ball over a little bit too much. I do think that UW-Green Bay, team that does generate about five, five and a half steals per game and turns the ball over a little bit less, going to be able to turn those into buckets. Like I said, two really bad offenses, but you've also got these bad defenses, and I do think that this is going to be a game where you're going to see some late game fouling. Neither of these seems great at the line, but with that said, I think this total sneaks over. I've got my total at 128 and a half. Something's got to give here. And with UW-Green Bay, with this being on their own floor, made them a six and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with UW-Green Bay in the toilet bowl, as they did actually hold within 11 points against Wisconsin a few weeks ago. And I'm looking at this total under. In 53-854, this is the DK Nation pick as Kent State is on the road facing up against Gonzaga. Gonzaga between a 15 and a half to a 16 point favorite total is between 153 and a half and 154. I said Kent State as a 13 and a half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points and that is going to be the DK Nation write-up. I also do like this total under as I set my total at 154 but I do think that we're pretty close in terms of this total. I'm going to be seeing how it moves overnight. Hopefully it goes up a little bit further so that way I can get a bit more value on the under as Kent State is actually a top 35 team. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis and I honestly think that the point guard for Kent State here is better than that of Gonzaga, and that'd be Sincere Carey. And he sincerely has given this team 19 points, 3.5 boards, 5 assists, 2.8 seals per game. It's a Kent State team as a whole. They're shooting 36.5% from three-point range. You've got Giovanni Santiago and Malik Jacobs. Combined shoot about 36-37% from three. Santiago, a little bit more of a shoot-first guy, 9 points per game. Jacobs, Sachit Suffer. Four steals with 13 points, three and a half boards, and three and a half assists. And then C. Laurent Hornbeek is going to have a tough time down low against Drew Timmy. He's been able to give the team 6.7 points and seven rebounds per game. Drew Timmy leaves something to be desired defensively, offensively. He has still been able to give this team 18 and a half points per game. Easy Drew Timmy that we all know and love on the offensive side of things. But coming off of just nine points and five rebounds in that game against Baylor and six rebounds or fewer in three out of the team's last four games as well. So leaving something to be desired there. It was pointed out by our good friend Sean Paul, exactly what I've been noticing. Nolan Ickman has had a little bit of a rough go of it in terms of a decision making. I will say only 1.9 turnovers per game. It's not like he's been a walking turnover. He's got five of them 
in the team's last four games, but he also had as many points as myself in that game against Baylor. That would be a big giant zero. Julian Strauss, third, Rashir Bolton. These guys are combined for 26 points per game. Both of these guys shooting over 40% from three-part range. So they've been rock solid there. And for Kent State, they're going to be playing against a team that has a tempo that they're not necessarily used to. But that said, with this Kent State team, they already played against Houston. That was a 49-44 game that took college basketball back to the dark ages. But they were able to hold in there on that one. And for Gonzaga, they come in just 2-6 and six against the spread. They've clearly been a little bit overvalued. Kent State 6-1 and one against the spread. I do think that Kent State going to be able to hold within the number. I think Sincere Carey going to do a good job in the backcourt to keep the team at bay. At 154 or more, I'm going to be looking at the under DK Nation write-up. And it's on Kent State getting the points. 855-856 on the betting board. It is Troy and the men of Troy are on the road facing off against San Diego State. San Diego State, a 15 and a half point favorite. Dawn's game is between 135 and a half and 136. I set my total at a 135. You do have a Troy team that they're a mid-tempo team that they've been able to do a good job defensively in. I do think that San Diego State going to look to get back to what they've always done, playing defense. Now, San Diego State actually a top 40 team in terms of possessions per game. And like I was saying with our good friend Sean, I don't know if this is for the better for San Diego State. They're shooting 35.5% from three, but you've got Matt Bradley down to about 11.5 points per game. It's been Darian Trammell who's really been able to come up big for the team, 13 points, right around 3.5 assists per game, but he was missing for the team's game against a non-D1 school. I'm not necessarily too concerned there. I think they should be able to suit it up in this one, but clearly he's not 100%. They've been able to get about 9 points, 4 rebounds per game out of Jaden Ladee, who comes in from the Big 12. Nathan Menza still a very good low post presence. That's able to give you 7.5 points, 5 boards, but his real value is on defense, and San Diego State only turned the ball over about 11 point eight times per game. Troy is a bunch that they do a nice job of being able to come up with steals. They're getting over temper contest and the big reason why the Georgia State transfer. Nelson Phillips 14 points, 6 boards, 2.5 assists, shooting 37% from 3-point range. Troy is whole. They shoot 36.5% from 3 with about 13 turnovers per game. Zay Williams is going to need to help out Phillips as these two guys, they combine for about 12 rebounds per game and then you really don't have anyone else that gives you more than about 3.5 rebounds per game with Nate Shaminga really being that guy. Shaminga a little bit banged up right now so we shall see if he's able to suit it up in this one as well. But Kiefer Punter out in the backcourt, about 2.5 assists per game. Shot 94% of the free line. Troy does leave a little bit of something to be desired with their outside shooting, but Amir Muhammad, who has come in from the non-D1 level, has been able to give the team three and a half assists, some stability. Both of these teams, they play a little bit more up-tempo, but both of these teams, they do a good job defensively. I do think that San Diego State pulls away a little bit late, but I think that 15 and a half, just too lofty here. Some might tell 135. I'm looking under, and with San Diego State, could only make them a 12 and a half point favorite, so taking the points. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games, and this is a 57 858. Portland is going to be playing us to North Dakota State. The Bison are a 15-point underdog with your total between 154 and 154.5. I did sell my total at 145.5. North Dakota State has been sped up quite a bit this season, but I attribute a lot of that due to the teams in general that they played as. This is a North Dakota State team that oftentimes they're looking to play a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled, and with their 1-8 and eight start to the season, scoring 71 points or fewer in every one of their games against a D1 opponent, I do think that they're going to look to throttle down as this is just not North Dakota State basketball at this point. You do have a pair of guys, Grant Nelson, Lonth Andrew Morgan, that have been able to combine for about 26 points, about 14 rebounds per game as well, but 
Got a North Dakota State team that turns the ball over 14 times. They shoot 67.5% the free throw line and 30% from three. Now, with Portland, defense has been a little bit optional with this team, and they are missing a few guys. Mike Meadows has been out of the fold for much of the campaign. He's only played in four games, and then you've been missing for the entirety of the season a guy in Chris Austin that was actually a starter for the team last season, but it just has not mattered to them. They've been able to have Moses Wood firing in all cylinders, 13 half points, six half boards, shooting 38% from three-point range as he's a six-foot-eight little bit of a combo player. Portland, in general, ranks about 40th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, while North Dakota State, they're hovering right around 298th. Been able to have someone down low in Alden Applewhite step up, eight and a half points, not necessarily giving you a lot of rebounding as that's not necessarily the MO of Portland's front court, but they still do a solid job on that front. I do think that North Dakota State, with all their size, they're going to look to play this a little bit more slowly, a little bit more under control. Portland has done a solid job in general of being able to cut down on some of the turnovers that did hurt them last season. And this is a very big ball control team with Tyler Robertson really being the head of the snake. Does it all right around 6'5", 6'6". 16.5 points, 5.5 boards, 6 assists per game. And then you do have Christian Sojlin. He comes in from Georgia Tech, 12 points per game, shooting 43.5% from three is a little bit of a stretch combo player. And I do think that with North Dakota State, you're going to be able to have Brock Scumberg be able to give you just enough. Diva, will hold in there in the backcourt. You really don't have that one main facilitator outside of Skungberg, who's been able to give you about 2.5 assists per game, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, 11 points per game. But I do think that North Dakota State going to look to throttle down in this circumstance with having a little bit of a height advantage. Semi-tall at 145.5. I'm looking under. And Portland could only make them an 11.5-point favorite, so taking the points. Now we get the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go to 306-595. 6596. It is UMass and they're playing us Albany. Albany is a 15-point underdog with your total between 139 and a half and 140. And with UMass, I set them as a 17 and a half point favorite. This Albany team has been taking losses on the court and off the court. Wayne Killings is right now having some bad accusations about him off the court in terms of abuse of a player, which I think has sort of lingered on the court because Albany just has not looked focused all season long. You do have one guy that has been able to do a good job with 13 points per game out of Gerald Drumgoulet Jr., who's been able to shoot from three-point range about 37.5%. He's able to give this team four and a half rebounds per game, but you really only have one guy that has been able to give this team more than 4.4 rebounds per game, and that would be Jonathan Beagle. He's coming as a freshman, 10.5 points, seven rebounds per game. I do like his overall game, but with Albany, they don't really do a good job of being able to generate a lot of turnovers. They play slowly, but turn the ball over 13 times per game. They shoot 66% at the free line and just quite frankly, I was expecting a bit more out of Aaron Reddish. He's been able to give the team 10 points per game, but when he's been out there, not been so terrific. Looks like he's a little bit banged up, and it's unlikely to be in the fold for this game. And Malik Eadman, who comes in from Merrimack, just has been a little bit of a disappointment for UMass. They're playing a little bit more slowly than you saw Frank Martin's team at South Carolina play last season, but it has been, in my opinion, for the better. You've got Noah Fernandez, who does a good job controlling the backcourt. 11.5 points, 3.5 assists. Very good three-point shooter as he and Matt Cross combined shoot about 42.5% from three cross. 10 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Now, I will say this about UMass. They're not necessarily dominant down low. Wilden Slavike has been able to give you about 5.5 boards, 2 blocks per contest, but they aren't necessarily barreling down the hatches there. But TJ Weeks 
Guy with six foot six guys shooting fifty percent from three point range. He's been able to contribute ten points per game. And UMass has been one of the better defenses in all of college basketball. They don't necessarily get a lot of seals, but they do a good job with their on ball defending. They shoot thirty nine percent from three point range, and they should be able to take it to an Albany team that right now just all out of sorts and is a little bit banged up with the injury to Aaron Reddish and frankly not having much in the backcourt in terms of facilitating the balls. Albany does not have a single player averaging more than two assists per game. So I'm willing to lay with UMass, set them as a 17 half point favorite, semi-total 137 half, Albany playing very slowly and UMass, they aren't playing that same tempo that Frank Martin did at South Carolina, so looking under and looking to lay it with the Minutemen, 306, 597, 306, 598, Long Island is going to be playing us to UMass Lowell. Lowell is a favorite of 13 points and your total on this game is anywhere between 144 and a half and 145. Considering Towson was a 20-point favorite when they went to Long Island a few days ago, and Long Island was able to cover that game, they're pretty much telling you that UMass Lowell is between 6 and 6.5 points worse than Towson, and I don't necessarily agree with that. UMass Lowell has a really good backcourt. Everett Hammond is able to give you 12.5 points, 6 boards, a steal per game. It's a collective that shoots 37.5% from three-point range. UMass Lowell has been one of the better mid-major defenses in all of college basketball. And they go up against a Long Island team that they look to play very fast. But they are 361st in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. So even though they play fast, it's not necessarily resulting in a lot of points. And, I mean, it's not even the shooting itself for Long Island. Long Island actually shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, 36% to be exact. As you've got Keon Brooks along with Marco Melitic, they've been able to combine to shoot about 39% from distance. Burns is able to give you 10.5 points, 6 rebounds per game, and Melitic about 15.5 points per game. The problem is, outside of Burns, you really have one other guy that gives you more than 4.7 rebounds per game, and Jacob Johnson comes in after being a starter at UMKC last season, and he's been able to give the team 10 points per game. Shot 57% from three-point range, but they've also been able with a little bit of an ailment. Detroit Wood was able to get back out there against South, and he did have eight points in that game, so that is a nice little addition for this team, but on the UMass Lowell side is significantly more size as you've got the gentleman from Pittsburgh and Abdul Karim Kulabi who's been able to register 15 and a half points, 9.9 boards, not necessarily much of a shot blocker, but that's why you've got Max Brooks, an all AEC defensive player from last season, 10 and a half points, 6.8 boards, nearly two blocks per contest, and then Yuri Covington, who comes in from William and Mary, to be able to cut down on those turnovers, shooting 40% from three-part range, Ayindi Akeem has been a little bit off his game recently ever since he had his double-double of 18 points and 11 assists against Sacred Art. He's had 10 points for fewer in every game ever since then, but still has a rock-solid piece out in the backcourt as well. I think that Long Island, a team that has been able to shoot it from three-point range, but to be able to get those threes is turning the ball over 16 and a half times per game is going to have a tough time with this UMass Lowell team that they just have so many guys with active hands getting eight and a half steals per game. They themselves turn the ball over a little bit, but Long Island, just one of the lesser defensive teams in all of college basketball. I think that's going to be a rough go of it for them. UMass Lowell is, in my opinion, one of the more impressive mid-majors in all of college basketball. I'm willing to lay up to 15 and a half with them. So looking at Lowell, and I did set my total at a 147 half. You've got a Long Island team that is looking to play very up-tempo. UMass Lowell team that they've really cranked up their tempo as well. So looking at the over to go along with the points, and we wrap things up with 306 It is Charleston Southern. They're going to be playing us to Kennesaw State. Goals in the words of our good friend Lane Kiffin as Kennesaw State is a three and a half point favorite. Your total on this game is between 139 and 139 and a half. And with Charleston Southern, I did set them as a five point underdog with Kennesaw State. 
they've really been able to do a good job of being able to improve this offense as in seasons past, like two, three years ago, this was one of the worst teams in shooting at all of college basketball. Now you've got Chris Youngblood giving you 15 points, ceiling half per game, shooting 42.5% from three, and all in all, Kennesaw State, they shoot 39.5% from three, three out of your top four scorers, give you at least 1.5 seals per game with Brandon Stroud really being versatile. He's been able to give this team one and a half seals, eight and a half points, seven rebounds per contest, been able to get about four and a half assists per game as well. Onto someone that I like, Inter Alberta has been able to do a nice job, run the point, now shooting over 50% from three-point range. You got a few other ancillary guys like Spencer Rogers, who was actually the team's top scorer two seasons ago, has been in a little bit more of a reserve role here in recent years, but five points, four boards out of him, and then you take a look at this Charleston Southern team, and they've done a great job of holding onto the ball. They're now only turning the ball over right around about 10.5 times per game. They shoot only about 31.5% from three. That is a little bit of an issue, but they've been able to get much more production out of some like a Claudel Harris Jr., who's pumping in their 17.5 points, four boards per game. He's also been able to do a good job filling out the ball. Two and a half assists per game. He's gotten a little bit over three assists out of R.J. Johnson, who is coming as a freshman. Shot 36.5% from three-point range. Chuck A. Fay, three and a half boards, six and a half points per game. This is a team that has some relatively good depth, and this is with Appalachian State transfer R.J. Duart only giving the team three and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. Talik Chavez has been solid as well, but they have been missing a few pieces as Caleb Clinton has been in and out of the fold a little bit due to injury. Has been able to find it in the last two games. They combined 29 points, so that is something that you do like to see for this team, but they've only gotten one game this season out of Amore Knox, a sophomore that they were really relying upon, made a season debut against South Florida, so we shall see he's able to progress moving forward, but this kind of South State team just feels like a little bit of a more cohesive and just more onboard unit in general, and I do think that Kennesaw State going to do a good job of taking it to a Charleston Southern team that they do a good job in terms of ball control. They leave something to be desired in terms of overall shooting, though, and neither of these seems very up-tempo at all. Semi-tall at 139, so 139.5 is going to be my buy point on the under, and I'm willing to lay up to 4.5 with Kennesaw State, and that will wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, I'm part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Big thanks to Sean Paul over there at the Field of 68 for joining me in last segment. If you do like cheering from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore one Keep in mind, let us see them. The me does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day. Go the college basketball season on this podcast. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.